Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of the Fireside Chat. Today we are talking the importance of the super block. Fireside Chat is a get-together of Gridcoin participants every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, midnight UTC on the Gridcoin Discord server. We talk about all things Gridcoin, uh, cryptocurrency, decentralized education, leadership, technology, and analysis. Uh, and anyone is welcome from any community. And if you want to talk about something specifically, go feel free to reach out to any of your friendly moderators here, and we will try to schedule a show or get you hooked up with a time slot to talk about it. And those moderators are myself, Jay Ringo, down below, the Goblin Popper. Yeah. And usually we have I Like Chocolate with us, but he is, uh, I think he's scuba diving off the coast of Madagascar right now, looking for giant orcas and walrus. Uh, climate Using only Gridcoin. Using <laughs> completely funded with Gridcoin. Hmm. No, 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 don't use the term funded. Don't use the term funded. He's just using Gridcoin. <laughs> we are not affiliated <laughs> with any scuba diving activities or injuries that might be related. So next time someone asks what you can use Gridcoin for, just tell them about Chocolate, the savior of the, well, workers. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's probably the best intro banter we've had uh, to date. Speaking of, this is episode 20, so we've been doing this for 20 weeks now. Uh, it is August 9th, which is pretty neat. Um, before we get into the topic, we like to go over the news. So... Just starting from some news from last week, the GUI poll, which passed and is continuing to be developed, continues to be developed. Uh, the rec most recent post on the development thread uh, comes a day ago, which is in response to a post a couple days ago, which was a suggestion. So if you do have suggestions or comments or ideas, go ahead and post them on the development thread. Uh, Mad Max Payne pays attention to it and responds fairly often uh, through we're putting text in at this point, some help with the startup screens. Um, things are still coming together great. I will be sure to put the link in the description below. Uh, there was a state of the network report came out Monday. Uh, those cover large news items and statistics for the blockchain and the Boink team. Uh, they're assembled by myself and Perjan. They are very fun to look at if you enjoy stats. So go ahead and have a look. I will put the link in the description below. Uh, there has been, there was a post by Rivan, who is a lead dev on the core team, uh, and they wrote about, it's called a disappointing optimization, and they wrote about the challenges that are presented when trying to optimize uh, syncing the blockchain from scratch. Uh, it's really in-depth read uh, for this sort of stuff. Uh, it's a fun read too. Pretty good writer, I did not know, but uh, check it out. It is linked in the description below. Uh, the takeaway from it is that I think uh, they figured out optimization solutions. And if you look at the last chart, uh, Barton or Jim would know more about this. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, you can see that um, time to sync is reduced drastically. Is, am I interpreting this correctly? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. It's, it's drastically reduced. So... Um... Is this going to be coming out in the Camilla uh, release? It's scheduled for the Camilla uh, milestone. That's right. Um, so that not what's in staging, but what's in the development branch. So can I, um, not to get too deep on it, but can I ask, like, what what is meant by drastic? Like, uh, what was what's the expected? Like, drastic is greater than twenty hours before, and probably something like three to four for the entire blockchain now. 
on an on a typical Intel box. That's uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's a lot of optimization. And I did uh, I did a run on the Odroid, which was a uh, a bootstrap, so it basically does the same thing as uh, as uh, uh, but just doing it from a local file. And I I did the whole thing in like uh, 4.7 hours on an Odroid. So pretty impressive improvements. Awesome. And uh, Workerman asks uh, what the implementation timeline is for the UI. Uh, and as everyone is saying in the chat, uh, yeah, there's no implementation timeline, but the timeline that uh, Mad Max has to complete the assets uh, under is four months. So if they don't complete the assets in four months, they don't get the funding, um, but they are more than likely going to complete it. Uh, they recently said they would hope to finish up in a week, about a week ago, but probably, you know, a month or two for all the assets. And once you have the assets, you need uh, developers or someone uh, to go through and make it the, the wallet. So this is something that if someone is good at implementation of graphics, GUIs, uh, come into the community. And this is stuff that you will get paid per hour if uh, you do a good job, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so it's a great way to get into this stuff as our core devs are working on uh, optimization and other big issues like CBR, MRC, and all that, that all that stuff. Uh, all right, moving on from Raven's post, uh, we have an update from CM uh, Custom Miner who went to the Boink workshop in Oxford. Uh, I'll put the link to that post in the description below and in the channel. Uh, it sounds like they had a great time, uh, and it sounds like it, there was just like a lot of good information. You can hear uh, CM's presentation on Gridcoin. Uh, in that thread, I think. Yes, in that thread. It's also on the Gridcoin YouTube uh, channel. Uh, it's a great presentation, I think. Uh, I think Sam did a great job uh, covering the community. Uh, and there is also a link to uh, the other talks from the workshop. I think David Anderson gave one. I have not had the time to listen to it yet, but I did read a comment that said it was a great talk that when it ended particular should be listened to, uh, but I think there are others as well from the other talks during that week. Uh, and then the last news item I have comes from Aracado Pool, which is coming out with a bunch of updates. Uh, it's supposed from nine hours ago from this recording. It uh, looks like they moved their servers out of their closet and into an external source. Uh, I will have that link in the description below. And that is all the news I brought this week. Uh, anyone else have anything they want to talk about news-wise? Yeah, I've got one. I made a post uh, on Steemit uh, about uh, UTXO optimization for staking. So uh, I think that's probably rolled off now because it's more than seven days, but um, just wanted to point that out. Uh, yeah, I will find that link. It is rolled off from my feed. Uh, yeah, I remember the, the post, though. It's a great summary of UTXO optimization for when CBR comes out in particular. And uh, yeah, that's something you guys are working on actively in the dev channel, right? I was reading some chatter about that today. Actually, there's a PR that I wrote that's uh, going to go in Camilla, it looks like, that's going to basically optimize your UTXOs automatically. So uh, basically, it's going to become a set and forget sort of thing. So Awesome. So yeah, uh, post is in the chat there. I'll put it in the description below. And speaking of CBR, actually, CBR is fully on testnet now. Um, 
we're at 10 GRC a block as per the um, uh, poll, right? So that is moving forward with testing. If you want to get involved, reach out to Barton26 in the testnet channel on Slack or on uh, the Discord here, and it will get you set up on the testnet server. Um, more help is always welcome. You just need to be someone who can pay attention and follow directions. You don't need to know too much beyond that. Uh, and if you like breaking software, this is the place for you. Have some fun with it. Uh, the more things we break now, the better production will be. Uh, yeah, Barton, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to mention some uh, pretty big changes um, are coming for the website in a few days. Um, I'm not entirely sure when they'll be pushed, but I've been working on them this week. Um, notably, the uh, daemon command page on gridcoin.us has been completely overhauled. Um, it's now going to be the RPC reference page, and it's been updated with all the uh, new RPC commands that were added in uh, 0.14 wallet release, um, and takes out all the commands that have been deprecated or just don't work anymore. Um, so that should be coming soon. Also, um, highly requested feature, um, we've added uh, a link to the snapshot, the official snapshot to the uh, resources header and footer. So no more digging in the pages to try and find that link. It'll be uh, right right where you need it to be. Oh, that'll be nice. Awesome. Um, also, uh, what's going on with SouthX? Um, I just heard back from them, and it would appear that uh, they have gotten withdrawals working. So um, that was a big hurdle we had was getting withdrawals. Um, deposits are fine. It appears I've done a few more test withdrawals, and we'll see if they go through. But um, once withdrawals start working, I'd imagine it shouldn't be long before we're up fully. But you'll hear more on official channels when it is uh, publicly announced that we're going live. And anyone catching up South Asks is an exchange that we were uh, we want to vote on thanks to a community member, Chicken Man, who put a huge vote in to get us in first place on the poll. And there are other people who uh, contributed as well. But thank you to everyone for that. Just out of curiosity, did we just barely get into first place with his or did we pretty much destroy everyone else? We won by over 140 votes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we kind of destroyed second place. A, a vote a vote is equal to how much again? Yeah, each each vote was was one one thousandth of a bitcoin. Um, so at the time of voting, each vote was about six or seven dollars. Um, now with the prices lower, it's a little less, but that's what it was at that time. And yeah, he donated a point six five BTC. Oh wow, w worth of gridcoin. No, <laughs> worth of bitcoin. Yeah. Oh, you had to convert it first. So basically, yeah, that's his vote weight. So I think that worked out to what? his It was like $3,000 of his own money or more maybe that he put on? 30, 35, 3,600 at the time, yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Once you get for it, he gets an awesome emoji on Discord. For anyone who doesn't already know, yes, we uh, we have all selected to immortalize him as a um, freakish chicken hybrid <laughs> of a chicken-headed... Um, uh, what's whatever it's called? Oh, Mega Man. It's Mega, Mega Man. Man. That's what it is. I'm gonna be made fun of for forgetting that one. Anyway, so it's a chicken hybrid of Mega Man. Um, so if you're on the Discord server, uh, for Gridcoin, feel free to check your emoticons and uh, spam that in his honor. <laughs> and you're welcome, everyone. Oh yeah, that was made by Nest. Um, I just had a question about uh, well, going back to uh the UI redesign. Um, Mad Max, he's got some really cool 
uh, examples of what it's going to look like. But one of the things he has in there is um, what a page would look like saying, if do you want to start doing pool mining or solo or be an investor? And I think that's an awesome concept. I was just curious if, is that actually something we are planning on implementing or was that just kind of like his, his concept, like something that could happen? Uh, so that part of the design, if I remember correctly, is about getting the startup process going. So instead of having to go to the website to follow those guides about how to set up your uh, grid coin on a pool, it would just be in the wallet. So, um, you know, the current wallet, you load it up and it's like, uh, hey, what's your email address? And then it gives you an error address or an error box if you forget to put in email or something like that. It's really just simple and not doesn't really explain anything. So this would be you open the wallet and you're set, you're told you can work on the pool, you can be a solo miner, or you can just be someone who bought Gridcoin and you want to run a staking wallet. So the user would then click one of those uh, and then that would be the guide right there in the wallet and it would uh, just walk them through. I think H202 has been doing the writing for those guides. Uh, they're still being worked on from what I have read and caught up with. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so it actually is uh, planned on being implemented then, huh? I think so. I don't know if everything is going to be implemented. I think at this point he's making the assets and the actual implementation is going to come down to how easy it is to actually put it in the wallet. Um, and if it's possible and you know how much time it will take. There is a section in the proposal that says that uh, we're holding $500 of the uh, funds for Max um, until after it's implemented. So, you know, he's incentivized to stick around and help whoever does implement it, uh, implement the stuff, because there's probably gonna have to be tweaks to some assets to make it all work together and all that stuff. So I think yeah. the plan is to implement it, but uh, no guarantee and anything at this point would be the safe thing to say. Gotcha, okay, cool, good to know. Uh, anyone else? I'd just like to say that I fully agree with Anonymous. It's such a great idea to have uh, a wizard to guide you through that process. Otherwise, the um, newbie experience is really rough. Yeah, yeah, I remember as a newbie, I the only way I really figured out a lot of that stuff was actually first finding the pool and then finding all the videos that are on the homepage of the pool and then eventually realizing, oh, wait, I'm on a pool site, and then being like, well, I feel like I owe them to sign up for the pool now that they pretty much helped me figure this all out. Yeah, the pool videos are really good. Um, BGB or whoever it was that put them together they did a very nice job. I think the other thing we've got to do is, is, you know, sort of direct people that, you know, if they're below a certain balance or whatever, like, you know, how many questions do we get on uh, Discord and other places about, you know, people that are trying to solo stake and they don't realize that, you know, you really, that's probably not a good idea if you've only got five GRC and then they get really frustrated. Um, you know, whereas if they, if people got set on the right paths right away, which is what this idea really is about, I think it, 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 it leads to a much better experience. It really does, you know, because you can understand people would get really put off if, especially if they go down one, put a lot of effort in one direction, they realize that's not what they, they should do. Yeah, I agree. Maybe even, I mean, this might be too far, but something in the wallet that's uh, a warning. It's like, hey, we noticed you're trying to be solo. Like, we're joking about clicking Clippy in the chat right now. But uh, Clippy pops down. It's like, hey, I see you're trying to be a solar miner with 10 GRC. Would you like some help setting yourself up on the pool? 
<laughs> uh, you guys, I think that's something we need to think about that. I mean, we may not be able to do something as sophisticated as Clippy, but, you know, we could we could certainly, you know, set up, a, uh, you know, logic controlled dialogues that would basically sort of steer people in the right direction based on, you know, what their situation is. Right. So um, that's my sense. Or just like a basic form that's like, what's your intent? What is what do you want to do? Do you want to maximize your earnings? Here's what we recommend you you actually do, and and so on. Because it, it's I I still remember when I first joined, there was not it wasn't like a controversy, but I do remember at least three or four posts on on Reddit that that occasionally popped up um, that all seemed to focus around a lot of people getting very upset because if you had pretty much under two thousand GRC. Um, a lot of people didn't recommend you solo mine. And for newbies, 2000 GRC at the time when I joined, that was like five or six or seven cents. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a sizable amount, right? To, for, for, some, for to tell someone to go on, buy, buy Bitcoin or Litecoin, convert it to GRC, and then, and then get it to your wallet from the exchange. And then you're okay to start doing this, which means you have to do like an actual investment in the platform. So, there, there were a lot of questions on that. A lot of people got turned away, I think, for that. Um, so, I mean, we're unique in that we have an onboarding process that doesn't require you to invest, uh, like proof of stake coins generally, or if you want to stake, you have to buy. Uh, and that concept is not palatable to a lot of people outside of crypto that don't understand necessarily what um, proof of stake is and what staking, how it operates. So they're like, oh, this is just a Ponzi scheme. They're asking me to buy in to participate. It's like, no, sort of, but not really. No, it's a little more complicated. But having, having that concept uh, just sort of not right there in the forefront, uh, especially with MRC, when that comes out, will be great for onboarding, I think. All right, let's uh, – anyone else before we move on? Uh, does anyone have any topics besides Superblocks that they want to talk about uh, this week? That has been on their mind. All right, and let's move straight into the Super Bowl. All right, so essentially, uh, there's a whole section on it in the white paper, and I'm sure once we get a blue paper written, uh, there will be a fairly in-depth technical explanation of Superblocks. But at its uh, conceptual level, it is a tool that helps aggregate and store data uh, pertaining to participant computation contributions. So uh, in the post for tonight's Cast, uh, I say it's a decentralized version of what might otherwise require centralized management. It replaces the middleman. Gridcoin helps to push to the side. Um, yeah, I think that's that's basically what it is on a conceptual level. I don't know if someone else could uh, explain it on a more, not completely technical, but just on a more technical level. Uh, I know I can't. Uh, Barton or Jim, maybe? Yeah, this will be the episode of uh, the Fireside where the, the hosts are just <laughs> going to be silent for a good amount of it. <laughs> Barton, you want to take the first shot on this one, or you want me? Well, I guess it depends on how in depth you want to go, because if superblocks can be, um, from a technical side, very, very complicated, um, if you really dive into how they work and all that. Let's go shallow. Let's like uh, four feet. Yeah, worst where case is you go too deep, and then we'll just edit out most of what you say. <laughs> so the superblocks are, you know, grid. I mean, I can sort of start this off. I can. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're better off at the the four foot deep uh, explanation. Do that. All right, let's try it this way. And Barton, you'll probably want to jump in here because I may or may not include everything uh, off the top of my head. But you know, you can think of a super block as effectively a special block. It's staked. It's 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 staked like other blocks. Although the way it's created is very complicated, and then all the you know that's the comp that's probably one of the most complicated parts. But the bottom line is um, a subset of nodes 
uh, essentially pulls down the data from the Blink projects. And that data contains essentially uh, 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 rack uh, and total credit for every uh, every CPID out there. Okay, and what the what the uh, the nodes do that pull those down is it crunches this data down into essentially the set of CPIDs. Those are the uh, folks. Those are the those are the researchers, Red Cord members that are actually doing research. It could be you know some of those actually the pools. But uh, CPIDs pulls them down and you know puts their essentially computes their pulls their rack in totals the rack for each project goes to that calculation that we talked about before with magnitudes and then basically creates a super block which is a essentially an array of CPIDs along with their magnitude numbers um, and it also includes if I remember right some project level summary statistics in the super block too and the key is though is that super block is agreed by consensus so there's a complicated consensus algorithm this is where it gets really intricate but the bottom line is there's an algorithm that uh, all a certain set of nodes have to agree on the contents of the super block so they all independently go and scrape the blank sites pull the stuff down do their own computation and then they cross-check each other essentially to make sure that they're all arriving at the same answer, the consensus answer. And then that's what ends up being staked as a, as a super block. And then once that's staked, it's treated as gospel by by the entire network from, from the point of view of computation of, uh, of the research rewards. Um, and I think it's set, basically it's timing so that I think it's 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 set to basically be on I think it's a 26 hour cycle is roughly what it's supposed to be. It doesn't always happen because of various different reasons. Um, did I leave anything out? I think that was really good. Uh, so that's the that uh, that consensus uh, mechanism, I guess the the way it determines the stats to put in the super block is the decentralization part. So other Coins or communities also reward people who uh, crunch Boink projects with their currency. So uh, Byteball, Byteball is one that's been doing a lot of marketing recently, and they work off World Community Grid. And the way they work is they have a, a centralized pool of funds, which uh, then essentially reads the stats and distributes those pool of funds from uh, based on those stats. So what Gridcoin does is uh, operates as that pool of funds in a decentralized way, and it's not a reserve pool of funds. It's funds that are generated straight from the blockchain, uh, from the reward mechanism, and then distributed also uh, in a decentralized way through uh, the super block. Uh, did I butcher that? I'm trying no, to explain. You, I think the super block itself doesn't distribute anything, but the, the each wallet, each node in the network uses the same set of rules and the same super blocks to figure out what needs to be distributed. So effectively, all the computations are protocol-based, and since every node uses the same rules, and they've all agreed on the same superblock content at stake, then everyone's going to arrive at the same answer when they when they compute, you know, someone's rewards that are due, and that's very decentralized, you know, in the way that, in the way this superblock information is collected is very decentralized because a subset of nodes are doing that individually rather than going to some central authority to, you know, say gospel as to what what the stats are, right? Yeah, um, and so that's, that's that decentralization aspect is one really, really neat part of the Gridcoin blockchain, which is uh, neat and unique too. It's uh, even the other science coins that have been along around as long as we have been, uh, I don't think use that sort of mechanism to distribute funds. Uh, and the other 
uh, aspect that's uh, pretty cool that you touched on is the data that's stored in those super blocks. So a block on a blockchain in general is a record of transactions, a distributed ledger uh, of data moving back and forth, usually money. Uh, super blocks, so that's, that's Gridcoin's blockchain for the most part. And then super blocks are injected every once in a while. And those super blocks hold uh, transaction data and also uh, contribution data. So you can look back through the chain and see how much you contributed X number of years ago. You know, it's a transparent ledger in that respect. Uh, but it takes the concept of what data you can hold in a block on a blockchain and uh, sort of plays with that with a standard blockchain also operating at the same time. So there are some pretty neat things you can uh, do with that principle. Technically, I don't know much about how you would do some of these neat things, but uh, a simple example would be uh, the super blocks right now exist for Boink, right? And each super block contains the data for all the Boink projects, uh, assuming they all get into the super block uh, successfully, contains all the data in one super block. So, Simple example is you make a super block for each individual Boink project. Um, so each super block is different from normal blocks, but they're also different from each other. Um, you can also possibly make super blocks for other computing platforms uh, like Folding at Home, uh, which is completely separate from Boink, but it also has user participation data that can be aggregated in a decentralized way and put into a second super block. So you'd have a Boink super block and then you'd have a folding super block. Uh, you can do this for many different things. People have talked about uh, doing it for like races, uh, just as an example of stuff outside of computation. Um, you can put the rank of the runners into a super block instead of having to rely on uh, some central person sitting there at the end being like, you're in first, you're in second, you're in third. Uh, maybe each racer is wearing like some tracker or whatever, and you bring that data through the network. Uh, so th those are some pretty uh, just to sort of open the door a little bit, those are some pretty neat things you can do with this decentralization decentralized aggregation uh, mechanism. Uh, am I right on that? Or are these just like moonshots that are completely impossible and not even feasible? No, I, I think they're possible. We haven't obviously implemented any of those alternative approach, you know, extensions, I would call them, of the superblock concept as it's done in the wallet today. But uh, it's certainly possible to do. And, um, you know, we have to pay attention to scalability. We have to pay attention to complexity. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we can extend uh, Gridcoin to include other types of computational paradigms. You know, each one of this different, each one, each, a, a different series of super blocks would have its own protocol rules and theoretically, and which might be different than the way we're computing stuff for point, or it might be similar. So, so the way they could interact too is, uh, yeah, it, it's, neat the things we can do with super blocks. And, and they can operate independently so you know one series of you know super block type two might be completely independent of super block type one and you know have a different set of rules and a different set of reward mechanisms theoretically and you could make them completely independent if you wanted to you know it's just a matter of putting the time and effort into into extending the uh the code to, to do something like that. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not a small amount of effort. It's pretty significant, but it's, it's doable. I, I think this field, the super block, which is tied to the neural net, right? Yeah. So I think those two fields for people who uh, are blockchain uh, enthusiasts, enthusiasts in particular, uh, and developers at the same time, this is the stuff that you would find very interesting with Gridcoin. Um, 
what we're doing with uh, that technology is, uh, I think, pretty fun. Uh, so if you are you're like, yeah, I would come in, but they seem to have people doing some all the stuff they need. Uh, I'm going to do something that's really a challenge and uh, weird and out there. Uh, come in, do super blocks and neural net coding. You will have fun with that, I'm pretty sure. Some exciting stuff. Though. There's a lot of exciting stuff that could be done. And we've, we've talked about on the dev channel conceptually the idea of taking the existing um, rewards mechanism code, which is really a set of rules around the rewards, which interact with essentially the Boink super blocks, which are those super blocks that we currently have. You can encapsulate all that in its own sort of container of code and then build another, you know, another set set of classes, containers that would operate on another series of super blocks, which might have entirely different rules. If this starts to sound a little bit like smart contracts, it is, but it's not quite, it's, it's not done the way the Ethereum does it, but it, it's, it's, you know, you can see how you could take this concept and extend it. Um, you know, obviously, again, you have to be careful about the complexity, but uh, it, it's quite, a, it can be extended. Uh, it's pretty exciting thinking about it. So, so quick question. Um, did we, is is this a so the super blocks? Uh, my understanding, it's not like it's anything crazy new or or like unheard of. Like the concept, what we store in it obviously is very different. But the concept of a super block, I'm assuming, isn't isn't crazy new. What other what other chains use it, and how is it used for them? Is is the way we use it very drastically different, or you know, where, where do we sit on that? I don't know if any chain actually does super blocks exactly the way we do it. Barton would be the better. He, he he has a more comprehensive knowledge of a bunch of different blockchains out there, but I don't think anybody's doing it quite like we're doing it. Uh, there are, there are different coins that have extended the chain in different ways, but I don't think anybody's doing it quite like we are. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Jim. Um, I'm not. I nothing at least comes to mind. I mean, there definitely chains could be implementing similar solutions, but not in the way we are. Um, it is pretty unique, I think, in the in the ecosystem. And on a uh, conceptual level, if you take out the data aggregation and you just say that superblocks are a block that is unique compared to other blocks, uh, there are some chains that do that, and they uh, maybe it's a treasury block where the all the coins minted in that block go to funding some development. And this is stuff we can also do with our superblocks, make them unique on many different levels because they're essentially one block a day, 26 hours. Uh, but I, I, think, I think both Barton and Jim are right. There's not many that use it the way we use it. And um, I just wanted to um, point out a quick thing. Um, Colt had asked in the chat earlier um, how big the super blocks are. Um, and I pointed out um, they're kilobytes in size. He asked if they're kilobytes or megabytes. Um, because all of our blocks must be smaller than one meg. That's our block size inherited from Bitcoin. Um, generally, these days, super blocks are somewhere between 30 and 40 kilobytes. Um, it depends on the day and whether all the projects were included. Um, some of the old documentation we have says that um, a good estimate is the size of the super block is about 14 bytes per uh, beacon. Uh, and there's currently about 3,400 active beacons. So if you do the math, 3,400 times 14, and then do the divide by uh, 1,024 for kilobytes, you uh, it comes out to about 30-something kilobytes. So could we, in the future, if it becomes necessary, raise the block limit for superblocks, but just superblocks? 
You mean the size limit? Uh, yeah. I don't think there's anything specifically in the protocol that prevents us from raising the block size, uh, either in general or for super blocks in particular. I think it's just right now it's set at a particular value. They're just like with other blockchains, there'd have to be a discussion about that because, it's, you know, as you increase the block size, that you know, you have to think carefully about what that does, the block size limit, right? There are a lot of considerations you got to think about, but it, theoretically it can be done. I was just talking specifically about Superblock in case that becomes yeah. an issue. Well, let's, yeah. uh, let's step back and look at it from the larger issue. Um, the size of the data, the amount of data we'll be adding to these Superblocks right. if we become a larger network or if we, if all of a sudden there are 20 more Boink projects that we need to aggregate, or if we bring that's in right. like climate prediction stats, that's a lot of information. Uh, so Scale of the, the, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jim. You know exactly. Right no, now. you're right. I mean, look, a lot of discussion in the dev channel, and I've had a lot of discussion with Barton about this we, uh, before. And it, by the way, it intersects also with TCD and some of the other initiatives we talked about, team, team requirement removal. Because we, you know, all those things could actually increase the amount of space that are, that are required, uh, for the super blocks, the size of super blocks, right? And, and, you know, we have to worry about ultimate scalability. I mean, right now we could probably, you know, easily, you know, go up by a factor of two or three with the number of beacons, uh, which really ultimately determine the sewer block size. But, you know, you get up to a factor of 10 or more, and you also start adding more projects in and all this other kind of thing, and it starts to add up very quickly. And then TCD may require additional fields to go in the sewer block besides just the uh, rack-based magnitude, which could also make the size larger. So, you know, it sounds like we got a lot of room with uh, a typical super block only being, you know, 35K and the, the ultimate block limit being megabyte. But remember that Bill Gates said that 640, uh, what was it, 640 kilobytes was a, more memory than anybody would ever need many, many years ago. <laughs> and boy, did that well, turn out to be a false statement. So Nice use of that quote. <laughs> there are several solutions to the scaling issue. Uh, raising the block size is one. Uh, I think that comes with a lot of philosophical uh, baggage, especially in the current crypto ecosystem. Um, another one I think is uh, uh, something I mentioned a little earlier, which is making a super block for each Boink project, or maybe one super block for three or four Boink projects, kind of making more than one super block. Uh, is that something that's possible? I think it is. I think it makes the consensus when you're when you're going to group those together to to compute research rewards for somebody. It makes the computation of research rewards a lot more complicated. Because then you, uh, in other words, it'd be one thing if the super block was like a different series of super block. Like, let's say if you, you know, you had one series of super blocks, which are like the original one, which is blank. And then you had another series of super blocks that are something different. Then it's a di different type of research reward um, that's computed, you know. But, you know, you if you had to split the projects across several super blocks, then you're drastically increasing the amount of workload on the what's on the um, research reward computation in the uh, in the wallet, and uh, you know that that could get quite difficult, or it could it could get so slow that it makes the wallet difficult, you know, in terms of its speed. So I have to think through that. I mean, there's nothing theoretically limiting you from doing that, other than just the complexity factor. If I recall correctly, there was a suggestion made about uh, that the projects would would have to uh, host the key host the keys for us and you know so we wouldn't have to deal with the super block issue anymore 
Well, so the, so that's there's a there's CM has a uh, pull request I think out to Boink to actually um, which is was favorably received. You guys look watched his uh, write up that um, is is going to essentially allow us to retire the use of CPIDs in favor of effectively a real unique user ID, but that would be on a per project basis. And you know, there's been some discussion in the Dev Channel on exactly how that's really going to work. But uh, it would sort of get, you know, get us out of this problem that we've had with CPIDs, right? I think that's a good idea, but uh, I think we should wait until we make up more than half the Boink processing power before we ask that of projects. Because it, it would put the burden on them. And, you know, if, if they know, they can gain uh, more than half, more than twice as much processing power just by doing this one little thing. Then that's, I think, more than incentive enough. I think it's something to consider. We already do a lot of computation power for Boink. There are at what thirty percent now, but I think like that. yeah, I think it would be better to wait until we wake up more than half the network though. Well, one of the things we're one one of the things we're debating is is exact the exact timing of removing the team requirement, uh, which you know everyone I think and I'd like to hear other people's opinions, but I think it's going to increase participation when the team requirement is removed, um, and so. Uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting to see what happens. At the same time with uh, TCD. We may be able to do it before the, removing the team requirement. The biggest issue is, that the, the biggest issue is uh, making sure that, remember, because, remember what was discussed earlier is we're decentralized, right? So there, there are many different nodes that are going to talk to the Boink project servers. And so you have to be really careful as the number of participants increase that are on the neural network that we don't overload the uh, the uh, Boink project servers. And so, you know, our, uh, I think it's called the um, quorum election or whatever, which decides the subset of nodes that are actually going to reach out and, and participate to actually pull down the, the Boink stats, you know, probably going to have to improve that a bit before we really uh, can, can remove the team requirement, which is going to result in a lot more nodes, my guess, participating. I think we have to pay very careful attention to the load we're placing on the Boink servers. Anyone have any other, uh, other comments about that? Uh, I do, but I've been talking a lot, so if anyone else wants to say something. Well, I mean, I would suggest uh, releasing them both at the same time, because they both kind of change a little how our system works. And if we put both changes at once, then people will just have to get used to, to a different system once. That's Perhaps. True. I mean... Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, just not to try to confuse the people too much with too many releases, too many changes, and and you know, too frequently. On the other hand, though, I mean, if you're doing major changes to uh, the code, um, any bugs that arise are a little bit easier to troubleshoot, from what I understand. If it's just in an individual release. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and with uh, the team requirement removal, like Jim was saying, that's going to be a fairly big change because of what he was saying about having to ensure that we remain decentralized when we aggregate data uh, and form the quorums because of so many more. I think Anonymous made a pretty good point on that one. Uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm going to resent that idea. Uh, Jim, are you – so this is one thing, uh, what you were talking about that uh, – the super block mechanism could be uh, improved. That part of it could be improved. And last I remember was the 4.0 roadmap, roadmap that uh, Broad and a bunch of people put together uh, that 
involved did uh, dynamic witness participation. I think that was. Yeah. Is that something? Yeah. That's still going? The, the, it, it, well, it's, it, you know, I don't think we've spent a tremendous amount of mind share on it. I mean, Broad did an extremely uh, good write up, which is on the, um, it's on the dev wiki on the, on the GitHub site, I think, uh, that, that talks about that. And uh, it, it, it's probably, I'm not so sure whether we're going to, you know, do everything that was put in there, but it provides some really good ideas on how to be more sophisticated on how we um, select the nodes that are going to actually uh, do the neural network uh, component, um, which will solve the uh, the load problem against the, uh, the Boeing servers. I think the right way to go about it is to implement some form of the dynamic witness participation proposal that Broad put out there. I'm not sure whether we're going to do literally everything that's in there, but it, it's it's got a bunch of good ideas um, in it. Okay. So I will uh, note to self, put a link in the description to that uh, wiki. And by and the way, that, you know that's going to be done in concert with you know replatforming the neural network to C C plus uh, plus. You know, you know. Paul iFogs uh, has done a great job in, you know, in cleaning out the existing neural net code, which is in VB. But, uh, you know, it would be silly to write the dynamic witness participation stuff in, in VB only to recode it in C++. So essentially the, that and the neural net rewrite in C++ are somewhat tied together. What, you tell me uh, you don't like doing things twice in two different languages? <laughs> <laughs> Just two? Uh, I think I think there's more than two. It's not me. I'm not the neural net expert. It's really Paul. <laughs> you know, he's the one who's gonna. <laughs> so the spaghetti uh, is real, man. <laughs> it's gotten a lot. It's gotten a lot better. I mean, he's done a lot of a lot of good work on it. Trying to. I mean, if you've looked at the stuff he's thrown out of there and looked at how much the DLL has shrunk, it's incredible. Yeah. The stuff we've he's done to clean that up. I mean, it's just still he's dealing with the artifacts of uh, the original design, you know, which is it's complicated. Martin's exactly right, um, but we're making progress on it. Cool. Um, okay, so we have those are two aspects of the super block that we need to be mindful of moving forward: the size and uh, what happens when our user base grows by a lot, or what happens when we add more Boeing projects or more platforms outside of Boink. And then the decentralization aspect of it, uh, again, when we grow, uh, we're going to have to be very mindful of moving forward. Are there any others that uh, anyone can think of in terms of how to improve it, uh, what you're worried about, maybe a question, what you're confused about, or anything you want to know more about uh, with Superblocks? So from, from a little bit of heard so far, because um, I just got here not too long ago, um, I think, I think increasing the, uh, block size or the number of blocks would probably be useful if the number of transactions on the blockchain increase. Like, uh, it would be like a case by case basis, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I mean, we, right now we don't have a high enough transaction volume to warrant fooling around with either the, uh, block spacing, you know, which is 90 seconds right now or the block size. Um, you know, we don't, we don't really have any transactional pressure per se right now. You know, that would be similar to the issues that other coins have faced um, if they get transaction congestion. Yeah, I think uh, why is it so hard for for uh, Bitcoin to upgrade its um, block sizes? 
You know what? It was not technical. It's political. Yeah, that's I'll the just put it that way. Let's not get too far into. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, but that's I mean, a philosophical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really not technically. It's literally a constant in the code, and it's in a and you know you got to worry about versioning the the fork, but the you know the block size issue from a technical perspective is it's not there. It's it's really about community consensus about doing things like that. Um, and, and you've got to, you've got to, Barton just put the text and he's exactly right. You know, you've got to worry about storage. You got to worry about network bandwidth required to push big, big, big blocks around. So, um, and by the way, I'll just point out that Ethereum, you know, with their high block frequency and their complicated stuff, they're nearing like a terabyte for their blockchain. Yeah. We're, full we're blockchain. Uh, it's crazy. So, you know, you don't, Worry about that. Oh, Barton you know, and I are actually talking in the and Barton and I are going back and forth in the chat. And what Barton actually brought up is uh, apparently it's currently at about six hundred and sixty-seven gigs, and it has a block every fifteen seconds or fifteen minutes. What was it? And then fifteen, 15 seconds. seconds. No, it's fifteen seconds. It's, it's really yeah. Fast. It's every day. It's it's yeah. adding about eighty-three megs to the chain, uh, which Barton you know also which is about thirty gigs per year. Which is, um, I mean, it doesn't sound that substantial, but then when you realize it's like, well, you, you have to pretty much effectively buy an entire hard drive just to have this thing, right? Like, um, you know, you, you literally have to spend money to just have it. No, then, then imagine trying to fake it. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they, they had to implement what's called light nodes and all these other things because, you know, it's just about impossible to sync a full node in Ethereum unless you have a solid state drive. The code might be a little ahead of the hardware at this point, but they'll catch up. I mean, I'm not not saying that one terabyte is good. I'm not too worried about, um, like, I'm not too worried about, like, hardware costs. Realistically, a terabyte drive only costs about $45, right? Um, and you'll have that forever. It's, it's more or less just, if you, if you think of per node, that's just using a lot of space because every single node has it, right? And of course, searching through all that information is complicated. But but you're right. It, it's not it's not a cost thing. It's just a that's a lot. That's just that's just using a lot of resources. That's just not resource friendly. And when you think about it from just ecological or economical standpoint, it's like I don't even want that on my computer just because that means I have to go out and redo my computer, get a new drive. Just I'll literally have like an E drive or like like whatever drive just dedicated to Ethereum block uh, blockchain. So let's not forget Bill Gates, sixty four kilobytes. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is uh, a lot for now, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I it, keep, it, hold on, I keep cutting this off because I don't want this to turn into a uh, blockchain size debate. Well, uh, <laughs> no, we can't. We got to get back to the super block. <laughs> That's right, because it is a, a legitimate concern when it comes to super blocks, uh, but uh, not that uh, we're not there yet. So out of curiosity, what would the. Not even close. like, uh, obviously, we'd have to completely overall how the actual chain worked. But could we, is there a possibility or is there a way that we could have actually um, had the GRC, like had Gridcoin blockchain work without super blocks? I'm assuming that would have required a lot of information in each individual block. Um, but is that even a possibility or would we never be able to function? Um, I, I can take this. Um, the, the main thing is with the super blocks, it's that your client um, knows that 
when a superblock comes in, hey, I need to extract the magnitude data from this and use it for calculating, you know, research rewards and verifying that clients are submitting accurate um, proof of research claims. So if you just did it in normal blocks, your client would need some way to um, say, hey, this is, you know, magnitude data. Otherwise, it would just have to be checking every single block and every single transaction. How was it handled before we started to use super blocks? I don't think there was anybody that was that was doing this type of reward system before we came up with it. So. Oh, so the super blocks were when when we started going uh, proof of research. That's a question for early denizens of the grid coin, which is before my time. But you know, I think the large difference between the early and later grid coin was really around you know proof of work versus proof of stake. I think. The superblock's been around since the beginning. Um, okay, I misunderstood then. I thought that came a little later. Uh, Jim, I got a question about something you said before about MRC. Yeah. Uh, did, were you saying that um, the current thought is that when someone claims their clicks their MRC button, that transaction will go into a superblock? Um, no. What? No. It, in fact, it's got to go into a in fact, it's got to go into a normal block, and if someone triggers an MRC, it's, they're not staking. Remember, this, they're triggering a transaction. But it has to be treated as a special transaction because that transaction's got to get validated by every other node. Because you, 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 you have to apply – essentially, you're applying the research rewards that we currently do at, on, at a stake level, which really means – you know, there's a special transaction in that staked block that's called the coin stake, and then there's a research reward that's computed and validated, and then every node that receives that stake block goes through the accept block algorithm, which then re-verifies that that research reward is correct. And if it's not, the block is rejected, right, which is the way the network self-polices. The issue is that when you do an MRC, it's a normal transaction, and quote-unquote, well, normal transactions aren't validated the way that research rewards are validated. So we have to put in essentially validation infrastructure at a transactional level so that other nodes can cross-verify that transaction is right. Is that, is that making sense to everybody? Um, that's, the, that's the tough part. Is it difficult to implement? Don't know yet. Uh, it's not going to be trivial. All right, cool. Let's not get too far into MRC. I thought it was. Uh, I thought you were putting super blocks. I thought it was but it's, but it's it's, it's got to use super block data though. I mean, you know, the super blocks are going to be critical in any of that work because that's how you chain together people's you know research accrual. Essentially, figuring out figuring out how much uh, reward they're owed, um, if that makes sense. So the super blocks are going to be you know will be very important in the MRC discussion. Um, as, as that moves forward. So does anyone else have any questions about superblocks, concerns, crazy ideas? They're like, wow, could we use a superblock for this sort of stuff? Yeah, quick question, Jim. Um, maybe I missed it, but how exactly is it decided when the when a superblock will be staked? Um, oh, like, that's a, I, I that's know a that there were some... Why'd you have to ask that? <laughs> I know Martin there were some better, issues. Martin is better at explaining this than I am. Uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> I was told we were only going four foot deep into the ocean. I didn't know we were going swimming. Sorry. 
because there were there were times it was like there were times that it was like two or three days between super blocks during the forkopolis and such do, do you want to go diving into the depths go for yeah. it okay <clears throat> so when jim was giving his um lighter four foot deep explanation earlier um he talked about um how um he mentioned that the nodes come to consensus um to determine what is the um most accurate um data i believe was the way you phrased it um in in terms of the neural net so um for mainnet um the way it currently works is like this um every day at uh midnight utc um 25% of windows uh clients are selected to be in the uh the quorum for that day nodes that are in the quorum okay um download stats data from the projects or from the scraper depending that i'm not going to go into that because that's a whole different thing but they download project data um do all the things jim was saying um extract the project data gather um cpids with active beacons in the neural net um compute uh project magnitudes and individual magnitudes and then put that all into um an array with cpids magnitudes and the project uh statistics which is basically the superblock contract okay the contract the the data which is 30 to 40 me- or kilobytes sorry as i was saying before um is then hashed this resulting hash is your neural hash um clients that are in the quorum stake and when they stake they append their current neural hash the hash they believe is the most correct uh to blocks that they stake and all clients in the quorum every 10 blocks look at all the hashes that were staked the neural hashes and say which one was staked the most that is the consensus hash if a block is staked in the next 20 blocks from an active consensus node with that majority consensus hash a superblock is created with that hash basically the nodes say this is this is what we agree is the majority this is accurate and this is staked um so there's your explanation that's why i didn't want to dive but you made me dive it makes a lot more sense um uh, adding on to that question then so everything is scraped at midnight utc so so the fact that it's that you know rack is always changing for everyone doesn't affect it if, if i can jump in no stats are not scraped stats are scraped actually every 30 blocks for active neural nodes um they check and see if anything's changed in the last 30 blocks and if so they download the new stats data stuff absolutely does change constantly right so how uh, how do yes. you yes how do you reach a a consensus when everything is changing every with every block almost because every node that's in the quorum says hey on block number you know 900 we're going to all sync on block number 910 we're going to vote on a quorum 
on block 930, we're going to assess the quorum. And then by block 950, um, if someone stakes the consensus hash, it becomes a neural uh, superblock. And if not, after a 30 block cycle, it repeats over again. How is this enforced? Uh, how is the superblock enforced on an average of every 24 hours? Um, it actually averages every 26 hours. Um, and the way it's done is basically once uh, 22 hours since the last superblock hits, uh, clients that are in the quorum begin the process. Um, so the actual range is like 22 to 30 hours, and it evens out to like 26 because there's just a certain amount of time that it takes to just come to consensus, just, you know, clients downloading the data and so on. Um, and if if clients take longer to come to a consensus, that's what causes the longer um, the waits. Maybe some clients aren't downloading the same data. Maybe some clients are seeing the wrong data or aren't uh, building their neural contracts correctly. Okay, so what would be an example of um, where there has been three days without a super block and uh, what caused that? Um, in those instances, we had um, projects, particularly I believe in those instances, the project was uh, SETI. And as anyone who um, has manually synced uh, their neural net knows, SETI, uh, their data files are massive because SETI as a project is massive. SETI's data files can take five to 10 minutes to download depending on your connection. Um, and sometimes when SETI updates their files, they'll make an EOF error, an end of uh, file termination error somewhere. So the file doesn't end where um, the machine reading it expects it to. Basically the file terminates abruptly and the machine doesn't know what to do. Um, and in the past, different systems would handle that differently. Some would continue as if nothing happened and analyze all the data it had collected so far. Others would error out and say, well, I received an incomplete file, so I'm not going to deal with it and just exclude it. Now we have universal rules as implemented in point uh, 10 and point 12 while it releases that make it so neural net um, clients uh, if they do not download a complete data file, will reject the file as bad data instead of trying to stake a neural hash with essentially garbage data. That makes logical sense. Well, I'm glad I brought my floaties this week. <laughs> uh, let's let's end it on that. That was just an amazing explanation of the whole system. And uh, if anyone was here last summer. Uh, you remember the super block issues we were having. Uh, what Barton just explained is what we did to fix that. Uh, so shout out to the devs who put that into place. Um, yeah, we will be back here next week, uh, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Midnight UTC on the Gridplane Discord. Uh, again, if you want a subject discussed, just reach out to me or Goblin Popper. Uh, Chocolate will be back eventually. He's actually on a pretty long vacation. He's not using Gridcoin to find orchids. We can prove that. He might be using Gridcoin to pay for the vacation. <laughs> yeah, a good point. I'll go on a full vacation sponsored by Gridcoin if, if it's like, oh, prove what you can buy with Gridcoin. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll be. Otherwise, uh, we'll figure out a topic by next week. 
Uh, this has been a great conversation about Superblocks. I know I learned something. Uh, so yeah, keep thinking. It's one of the most unique aspects of Gridcoin uh, from a blockchain perspective. So always good to hear more about it. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you next week, uh, Thursday 8 p.m., midnight UTC, Gridcoin Discord server. Have a great weekend, everyone.